Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in dining room studios with Lewis Peitzman, writer, Twitter personality, guy who's been in a horror movie. True. Uh, person who shares many of my favorite. I think the sentence is not working, and yet I'm going to go <laughs> with it. We have similar tastes in musical theater. Great. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And um, we kind of met on Twitter. I don't even know if we officially met on Twitter. I just, I know of you from Twitter. Right, I followed we follow you for a each wire. other. Yeah. We, That's uh, meeting. Thank you. <laughs> that I <counts>. agree. <laughs> um, we interact and I saw that you were going to be in LA and I said, come on my show. And here you are. And here I am. How's it going? How's LA going? How's it? How's, well, I want to know what we're, what we're talking about. What's the it that I'm referring to? Yeah, I want to just be really specific about it. Well, I meant in general, how's 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 your life going? My life is going fine. Um, LA's really weird. It's been so weird to be back. I was only gone for like eight months, but I'm still like struggling with it. You're from California, right? I'm from LA, yeah. Okay, so but it's but weird I, to be back. Yeah, it's been really strange. This is, week has been very odd. So you, okay, let's just, let's chart the course for the listeners. You grew up in LA. Grew up in LA. You went to college in Berkeley. Berkeley. You, and you went to Berkeley, right? I went to Berkeley, yeah. Um, and then came back to LA? I stayed there for a few years, then I moved back to LA, and then I moved to New York. About eight months ago. Well, I, I'd i been back and forth for a while. I, I sort of say that... I, like, I moved in fall 2015, basically, and I just... I had a place in LA, though, so I was still kind of back and forth, and then May of 2016 is when I officially, like, moved my shit to New York. Right. And did you go there for... Now, you are a senior writer, editor at BuzzFeed. Senior editor at BuzzFeed, which is, you know, one a of... A flaming are, pile of garbage, apparently. It, it is a flaming pile of garbage. There are lots of senior editors. I'm not like... It's just a title, but I You're do... You're the I'm, senior I'm the editor. senior editor. No, I just... I write and I, I... I mean, I do light editing, but I really am just a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm mostly doing theater, which is why I moved to New York full-time to kind of focus on theater. But I do film and TV as well. Okay. So why is it weird being back? I don't know. I mean, I think because I tried really hard because New York was really hard. Obviously, New York is very hard and LA is like relatively pretty chill. And I tried really hard to adjust to it. And I think I tried too hard. And now I'm like too adjusted to New York and I can't I can't go back to LA. Is our slow pace freaking you out? (laughs) Everything's just a little bit off. Like it's it's, you know, and I don't live here anymore. I don't have a car. So I just feel like I'm, you know, it's the first time I've been here where I've really been a visitor Mm -hmm. like ever. And that's a very weird thing because it was like my home. And now I just feel my parents also moved to the valley, which I'm struggling with, even though it's a great place. And I love the valley. It's not um, where I grew up. Right. So it's like all a big adjustment. I'm just whining about nothing. It's totally fine. And my week is, no, my week is, is, has been like, it's been, I've been seeing friends and it's been great. Um, so I am from, from Orange, or, or born in Northern California, grew up in Orange County, went to college in Claremont, went back to Orange County, then lived in New York for nine years and then came back like six years ago. Um, and if you do the math, that makes me 75. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, in the going back and forth for the longest time when I would come back and see all my friends, it was like somehow there was this freeze on my hometown, which at that point 
I'm talking about Orange County. And I was like, wow, nothing Where were you changes. in Orange County? Uh, at that point, Costa Mesa. Okay. And I thought, nothing changes. No- every time I come back, like, it's a couple years later, nothing changes. And then rapidly, it all became very different. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I felt that way. In college, when I was, like, gone for a while and came back, I felt weird. But that's because the people, a lot of people I knew were, like, would stay in LA and they were going to UCLA. And it was, like, I would come back and they feel, felt like they felt like they totally were the same people. And I felt different. Mm-hmm. Not on like it, I'm better than them way. Just in like, I felt like I had changed. Right. And I felt like I wasn't seeing that so much. And I felt very distant from high school and all of those people. I think you do think you're better than them. I do. But I'm not <laughs> saying that. That's not what I meant. It's no, just but like, it was it was suggested. Like, it was, <laughs> you're approaching self-actualization, becoming enlightened, growing. They're just the same provin- provincial people they were. Exactly. I was literally Belle in uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> no, I think that, I mean... I feel like I'm trying to always grow and be better and failing at it a lot of the time. And, um, you know, I think that most people hopefully feel that way. A lot of people, I think if you do any sort of like self-analysis, you'll realize that you have a lot of room for improvement and should Mm -hmm. be working on that on some level. So I was just reading your website, which on your website, you were saying you don't write or your blog. My blog. Yeah. You're saying you don't write on it that much. Yeah. I used to write on it all the time. And it was like a long form live journal, basically, because mm-hmm. I didn't have anything else that I was blogging on. Yeah, I I used to blog all the time, too. And then Twitter and Instagram kind of took its place. And I don't know if that's, I mean, and other writing and talking into a microphone all the time. I don't know if that's You're good doing bad, other though. things. Yeah, exa- exactly. I Thank feel like you. I'm doing other things, too. I don't feel bad about it. But I do feel it's like funny because it's my website, my name, and it's like there's this blog on it and I don't update it. But I don't know what else to do with the website. I, I have an appearances section, but I do like maybe one show every six months so it's not a very active appearances section what kind of show i do storytelling Mm -hmm. mostly yeah well so you have a um a blog about weight loss and about body image and which i related to so strongly um because i'm my weight has always been up and down i it was i kept the weight off for many years and now being pregnant i feel like a elephant um but you said something that I relate to so, so strongly, which people don't talk about that much, which is the minute you start losing weight, then you can really focus on all the other things wrong with your body. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the best. It's, <laughs> such, a, it's such a joy. Right. Things you didn't even know that were problems that suddenly you're like, oh, I'm going to find something. Right. But that reminded me of what you were saying about when you start working on yourself or when you like embark on interest, self or working on yourself or introspection, then you just realize how far you have to come. Totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, I did the weight loss thing was kind of part of like, I had a really rough summer and I was like, I need to do some, something to like, you know, for self-improvement. And I know that like when I'm more active, I feel better. And when I eat better, I feel better like emotionally. So it started that way. And then I do think that on some level you kind of expect that when you like go through it, like a weight loss change or whatever, and it's not like it's that dramatic, but it's like a fair amount of weight. That, How like, much? Uh, it's like 45 pounds. That's the, a, that's the a cur- decent chunk. It's the current number <laughs> <laughs> that will change, I, I assume, or I'll just stop trying or I'll gain it back. Who knows? But uh, yeah, but I think that uh, I did on some level think that like things would get better and i think emotionally it helped just like being like i said be more active and like eating healthy just because like those are good things to do um but yeah it exposed a whole lot of other problems that i hadn't been dealing with because i've been sort of like brushing them all under like i'm inactive and like schlubby and sad Mm -hmm. um so that's been fun to deal with like 
what was all buried under there. What did you what did you discover was under there? Oh god, so much. Um you know, I think that like I think dating was a big thing for me because I was like I kind of would scapegoat my way in a way like it'd be like oh i'm like i'm kind of overweight right now like i you know i can date but like this is not really what how i want to look and this is not how i want to feel and so like that's the problem and then you like lose the weight and you're like okay well now are you going to like get back out there and it's like well now there's like other reasons that i feel like i'm afraid of dating um like what oh my god we're getting it's so it's so, <laughs> it's so intimate deep, like so right fast. away i know i have not warmed up at all would you rather talk about um disney films because i did read your <laughs> ranking of those because i had to see where my favorite lady in the tramp ranks number 12 i agree with that yeah it was high up there right i yeah. mean um we could talk about either no i mean i i just like don't want to like scare off any potential suitors at the moment but i think like you know dating's always been hard for me and and I have like plenty of insecurities that go past my weight, but I think that that's been the big one for me because it's the one that like I was the most made fun of for. And it's the one that I've always felt the most just like troubled by. Mm. And so when you get past that and granted, like by many like gay community standards, like I'm still overweight and like by the BMI, I'm still overweight. And that's also like whatever. By my, and I know one of the things you said in your blog was like, people don't need to comment on your weight either way. So forgive me for saying when I first saw you though, I was like, Oh, you don't, you don't look overweight at all. Having just read what you wrote. Right. Right. Um, and I think that, well, I, I think that I, I mean, I definitely like see old pictures of myself and I looked over, I'll sh- you want to see a picture a before picture. Cause sure. I have one on me. I will show you my work ID and you can definitely see the difference. I showed it to someone today. Cause I was like, I don't really have a before picture because I'd been really insecure and I hadn't been taking photos of myself for like two years. So uh, it's hard, but he, this is a photo. I'll just show you my wallet, uh, my work ID. Yeah, I can see so that there's, there's, a, there's a difference. There's more of you there. Yeah, there's more of me there. Um, but yeah, I think even when I was at my heaviest, I don't, I don't feel like I, I looked obese, but by definition, I was obese. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the BMI is bullshit and it doesn't matter. And like you're, you know, my health was fine. My health was good. So it's not, it had nothing to do with that. Um, I just mean, like, in terms of, like, how medical science defines it and how, like, society often defines it. Like, I was very overweight. Mm. Um, and now I'm just normal overweight. <laughs> Whatever normal means, I'm not applying, like, my own designation of normal because I don't care. Right. People. But, like, on the chart where there's the different colors, you're not, right. in, you're not, the, the needle is not pinned right now. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not considered <laughs> obese anymore. I'm still considered overweight. I would have to lose, like, I think another 20 pounds, which, like, could happen, but also very well could not happen. I totally related to what you said about not wanting to be a traitor to the cause of fat acceptance or fat right. positivity. Cause that's something, do you know, Shane Dawson? Mm-hmm. I've had him on my show a bunch. Um, he also battles his weight and used to be much heavier than he is. And he's not heavy now. We talk about, we talk about this a lot. This like not wanting to send the message, even though both of us, are smaller than we used to be again present pregnant situation excluding me from that statement but when i'm not when i'm not when i haven't gained all this pregnancy weight um not wanting to send the message though that there's anything anything wrong with not being thin right i mean absolutely i think it's so it's such a hard line to walk because i feel like anything you do like in terms of your own body should be about you and what you want and like not a value judgment but of course it's gonna be read that way you right. know and and i and i think even admitting that like in losing weight i expected to like be happier in a lot of ways like mm-hmm. i'm admitting that like i correlate the two 
And that's right. a bias that I have. Um, but I work hard when I like when I see someone who's overweight, I don't assume that they have an unhappy life. It is a, it's a judgment that I've applied to myself that I'm trying to work past. And it comes from years of people telling me that I am unhappy because I'm overweight and, and telling myself that. And so I think I just feel like it's important to reiterate the, you know, body positivity and fat positivity, because I don't want people to think that I'm ever going against that or suggesting that like anyone else should lose weight unless they want to lose weight. Mm hmm. I know that I've caught a little bit of heat. Um, I feel like that's not the right term, but just because I have talked pretty openly about how difficult it's been for me body image wise to gain weight in pregnancy and for my body to change being pregnant. And then I think most people get it because they know that that's like a real source. The, The whole body image, body dysmorphia, all of that is like something I talk about a lot. But there are people who who hear it and feel like I'm saying it's not okay to gain weight. Right. Which is so not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying I personally am struggling with like, who am, I don't know what's going, like my body is so out of control. Right. Right now. And I, and I, I totally get that. And I think that, you know, I haven't really actually for some, I've been, you know, dragged for many things online, but not for the weight stuff. And I don't know why. And you know, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Um, and I, I get why people are sensitive about it. I really do, you know, and it's it's not easy uh, being a fat person online or in life. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I don't want to make things harder on anyone. And I understand that. But at the same time, I think you have to realize that people are speaking about their personal experiences. And, you know, we were all raised like with a lot of ideas about what it means to be fat. And so if you're expressing like that, it's it's hard on you to like gain weight when you have to gain weight then like that's that's a normal feeling you know and you're not kind of i don't i don't i i, I totally see where you're coming from i i think it's unfortunate that people don't see that so like sometimes this is a i don't think i've talked about this before um because it's just something i i wonder but i don't spend a lot of time thinking about it but i wonder like where did my sort of deep-seated insecurity and the fact that my childhood is kind of dark like all of that where did that really come from and I have a lot of ideas about the the darkness of it. But something I will say is that if you grow up overweight, if you are the fat kid in school, if that's something that like when you walk into a room, people look at you and they see fat, you are treated differently and not in a good way. No. Like there's a general kind of, and I hate it, but there's kind of a revulsion that people just sort of naturally, I think they don't, they're not trying to communicate it, but I think they do anyway. And I wonder how much... Is it safe to say we? Like, is that how you were growing up? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I wonder how much we internalize some of that. Oh, all of it. I mean, you you totally do. But also, like, it's, you know, it's it's your well-intentioned parents, like, taking you to a nutritionist because you're overweight <laughs> and, like, or trying to get you to play team sports, even though you don't know how to play team sports. And I, I don't tennis want... tennis camp. You know, my, my parents are incredibly supportive people, and I don't want to, like, put that on them at all. But it's just part of the culture, you know? Right. Being fat is bad, and you should work against it no matter what. And you know, with teachers who would say things and, 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 you know, parent, like friends, parents, and like people just say shit and mm. they imply shit and they don't realize how damaging that is at a very young age. Um, and a lot of people are overweight as kids and grow out of it. You know, I never really did. I, I lost weight in college because I was walking for the first time in my life outside of living in LA. But, and even then when I came back again, it's so tricky because like, of course it's nice when someone's like, you look great. 
but a lot of it was like, wow, you like really need to lose that weight. And I had a therapist who said to me, and I brought this up before because I think it's like one of the most fucked up things that's ever happened to me in therapy that was like, it's really good that you lost that weight because you would have had to be a bear otherwise. <laughs> and I, that like, sorry, something, no, it's fine. This, it is funny. It's funny because it's like so unethical. And it was like a therapist that really had helped me a lot. And I don't know what was wrong with him that day that he said that. Right. But it like, it plagued me for so long. And it's something that I think about still. And that happened when I was 18. So it's obvious, you know, it's been quite a while and I still think about it. What is the implication of that? That you would have then just become the kind of man that is a fetish to someone? No. Or? Well, no, I think I will. Yeah. But that's, I think what he, <laughs> what he just meant is, that, and, and, and there is a way of phrasing this that's like a lot nicer and also like not judgmental. In the gay community, it is very hard to be between sizes. It is very hard to not be a twink and not be a bear. And I think the point is he there was a word making, for something in between. There are lots of words, but like you know, there are there are otters and there are there's uh, there are wolves and there oh are God, my m- eyes are so wide many, right now. There are many <laughs> things, but there's in terms of that weight, like there's never like that's just a weird a weird place in the gay community. And really, it's just your gay fat because if you're not if you don't have abs, like to many people in the gay community, you are just fat. Mm-hmm. Um, gay male community and like largely gay white male community. I want to just like make that clear as well. Um, but I, I think the idea is that like, I, I would have had to commit one way or the other. And I don't think a therapist should be telling you that at all, but that was something that he said. And it, it came from, you know, him being gay and him, kind of understanding the community but also it was not a helpful thing for me to hear also because like which is thing you should know which i think everyone should know and a therapist should definitely know is that people who lose weight mostly gain it back mm-hmm. if you are an overweight person there's a re- like there's a reason that i fluctuated my entire life because it like losing weight is not sustainable most of the time and unless you completely change your lifestyle and you will gain it back and that is and how it works certain people and there's a lot of people that will argue this like my old boss who feels like just stop drinking sugary drinks and walk more. And it's like, right. if it were that simple, everyone would be losing weight. Of I believe, course. especially for people who were overweight as babies, of which I've won, like certain people's body types, just like your body wants to be heavier. Oh, yeah. They just have a genetic a predisposition. Yeah, of course. It's, a lot of it's genetic. and But also just like, that. That's if you were raised that way and you grew up that way, that is the way you are. And, it kind of becomes like a set point, I think. Right. And that's why, that's also why the like, body positivity and, and fat positivity is so important because like you have to realize that like this is your body and like it may change, but it's like your body no matter what. And you might not like the direction it goes in and you have to kind of deal with that as it comes. So, so a therapist said something to me. I'm curious what you think about this. Um, this is just this is just gonna be me like questioning therapist motives and like the way that they talk to <laughs> right. their clients. Um, so I think when I started therapy, I was very very idealistic and not I was I had this idea of how everything should be in my head, and it was very different than the reality of our shallow world. And I think she was sort of constantly trying to get me to see how the world actually operates a little more just because it would help me to succeed in that world as opposed to sort of fighting against reality. But one of the things that I really had a problem with was this idea that it's what's on the outside that matters. I really deeply, and I still want to believe that it matters so much more what's on the inside. And I do believe it matters more, but I believe it's a combination. Right. So I I don't know exactly what I said. It had to do with finding relationships and stuff. And she said something, I think, 
I wish I could remember what I said that made her say this. Probably something like, I just want to find someone who loves me for what's inside. And she said something like, we want, like we want someone to love us when we are not even loving ourselves enough to take care of ourselves. Okay. Like, but the, the implication being the, an overweight person is not being loving to themselves. Mm. A very overweight person. Okay. What do you think of that? Not great, but I was like still trying to parse what she was saying. Yeah, no, I didn't so explain like, it very so well. No, it's not. I just like, I was like, okay, I, yeah, I mean. It was kind of like, you want someone to love you, but you don't, it, it, in essence, you want someone to love you, but you don't love yourself. And you're sure she was like talking about weight. Well, now that I say it, I'm wondering. Like, now I'm like, that could, see, that could be like a total projection because I feel like there are so many ways that I have not taken care of myself throughout my life that. I've been called out on by therapists and I feel like weight is a separate, I mean, right. And then I know I had a, in New York, I had a different therapist and there was like a lot of work on, <clears throat> you have to love yourself first. And that definitely wasn't about weight. I really took her comment to be about weight, but now I but am you, mean, you don't, you don't remember what you said before. So it could have been something that totally, right. yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's also your, I don't want to like question your, your memory of this event. And also people say that all the time. I mean, people like on dating apps, there's so many like euphemisms for, not fat it's unbelievable like what well there's like fit and there's active and there's like the really direct ones like height weight proportionate hwp <laughs> and then the which like proportionate to what like that's a it could be any proportion it's whatever right um then there is like someone who takes care of themselves like that means like someone who goes to the gym every day and like i feel like i take care of myself now but I don't go to the gym ever. So I guess like I'm not, you know, like, but people don't want to don't want to seem shallow. And so they don't usually say like no fatties, no fatties but yeah. it's like the implication every time. Right. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. And I also think that like, you know, it's people like different body types and they're, you know, it's, it's a reality of life. I just think it's like when you're ruling things out up front, when you're like creating a list of things you're not looking for, it's a little bit trickier but i understand that people gravitate toward you know different people for different reasons so i never did dating apps um because my dating was pre-app although i did do some online dating um but in general which is like i'm grouping that together i mean that's yeah all, yeah that's pretty much the right same. but there's but there's all like there's tinder and there's grinder and there's right. raya or raya Raya. Which I am Raya. Is that how it's pronounced? I've talked about it before. That's the um, like talking about celeb- it will get you kicked off. So I oh, hope I'm you're not, not on it. I'm not, no. I'm I'm married, but I want to be on it. You can still just be browsing to- <laughs> it. Wait, can you? Well, no. I mean, you could have a friend who has it, and you could browse it. Oh my god, I need to f- actually. I know I have a friend who has. I'm it. I'm sure you do. Just don't ever tell anyone that you did that because everyone gets in trouble. They're very strict, from to what in- I've been told. Invite her over and look at her phone because. I'm so fascinated by it. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating concept. It's a celebrity only dating it's a, app. It's celebrity, yes. but I think it's a little bit more. I mean, I think it's either you're either really hot or really famous. I think oh, so it, there can be randos on there? I th- hot randos? There are people on there who are not that famous. It's definitely not all famous people. Do you think Lala from Vanderpump Rules is on there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think she's on there all the time. <laughs> I, have no, I have nothing to back that up, but like, of course she is. Right. So anyway, is that how you primarily meet, meet people? On Raya, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Online. I am not on Raya. Uh, yeah, I mean, people, yeah I've, I've never met someone in person that I can think of that I've dated ever, I don't think. And I'm 30, so that's an impressive run without <laughs> meeting someone in person. 
Is that true? I don't even know. I'm like, I don't think that I have. Like, I met people on Twitter. Right. But that's still online. Well, that's what the crazy thing that was happening to me when I did OkCupid was I would get matched with people I was already following on Twitter. Right. That happens all the time. Yeah. That happens to me on Tinder and like, um, Tinder is a, a Tinder a lot. And it's funny though. It's like often people that I'm not following, but then like I'll check out their profiles and they're following me. And then it's weird because it's like, they know more about me than I know about them. Right. And bringing that up feels really humble braggy and like gross, but also like it's a reality of the situation that like, I feel like there's a disparity here and I don't like it. Why do you not like it? Cause I, I never had that much of a problem with that, but I, but it always, I, the other person always was weirded out. Well, by that. this is like a complicated issue and I've tried to write about it because it's something that comes up for me a lot. Like more than you would think it would, because I I'm not a public figure. I don't think I'm not your Uber driver rec- <laughs> recognized Uber, you. Yeah, but I don't think that I'm famous, and I don't think that I'm a public figure, and I don't think I should have to put up with that. <laughs> but also, just it just seems weird, and I feel like even talking about it, I feel weird because I'm like I'm not anyone. Like I don't feel I'm not you know like it's silly. Like I have I'm not famous. Um, but I think because these are like online things, people who are on them tend to be more like tw- like on Twitter also, mm-hmm. and they like maybe you know see more stuff. So I do get on tinder and okcupid and a lot of them like a lot more like i follow you on twitter um the thing that bothers me is that like like 85 percent of the time they're not interested in dating they just want to talk because they like think i'm funny on twitter (laughs) or they've read my articles that happens a lot and every time i'm always like i'm like i don't want to sound like a reality show villain but i'm not here to make friends like i really (laughs) and that was what i wanted to write about i wanted to write a blog post basically saying like I don't want to be a dick. I love meeting people. Um, but it it is really like discouraging when you like match with someone on Tinder and you match with several people in a row on Tinder and they're all like, great work. Keep it up. I don't want to fuck you. Just like right. FYI. I just want to talk about the fact that you said rescuers down under is better than rescuers. Right. And like, <laughs> sure, we could talk about that, but like over a date. And granted, if you, if I like match with someone and like, I, I don't want that. The other thing that I was tra- struggling with is I don't want to seem like I believe in concepts like friend zoning or any of that. Cause if you like meet someone and they're not into you, like that's totally fine. Like no one is obligated to have any interest in me at all. I just mean that in that context, I feel like it's disingenuous to match with someone or reach out to someone on any app just because you think that they're like, interesting and let i mean yeah i mean if you preface it with like i don't want to date you sure but i still think it's like a little weird do also because like you can email me or dm me or whatever are they wanting something from you no and like that's uh, you know everyone's like really nice and no one's ever like no one that i can remember has ever like you well mostly no one has ever (laughs) used any of those apps to like try to get something from me right and like i don't think it's like i don't think they have ulterior motives i think it's just like you know in the same way when you recognize someone on on tinder you sometimes instinctively swipe swipe right but i also feel like you kind of have to remember that people are like human beings and like it hurts someone's feelings when you when they think that you're interested in them and you're definitely not yeah um but yeah it's it's mostly a tinder thing that's happened but it's happened on it's happened on grinder so you know it happens and it's weird every time so you grew up in la proper i grew up in beverly hills beverly hills what was what was your childhood like um, well, I grew up in, I was in Hancock Park first. So I was in Hancock Park until I was like nine, eight or nine. Um, my childhood is like a big blur. I have a very bad memory of all of it. And I don't know why that is. I think it was fine. <laughs> I think it was like, you know, I remember having like lots of mini traumatic friend experiences and drifting through like 
periods of not having a lot of friends. Um, and like, you know, I think as like all young creative aloof kids have those like weird memories of just being an outsider in that way. Mm. Um, and high school was like that on and off. Do you have siblings? No siblings. Only child. Mm-hmm. Explains everything wrong with me. <laughs> Are you being facetious? No. I mean, yes, but <laughs> yes, I am. But also like, I, you know, I think that only children have like plenty of neuroses and are very spoiled. And like, for me, I've, I've worked hard to like kind of overcome that. And I try very hard to not be spoiled and self-involved. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. I feel like almost everyone is self-involved. Everyone is self-involved. That's definitely true. But I do think that like, it's weird to kind of like, I've never had to share. I never had to share growing up, for example. And so like, I had a really hard time having roommates for the first time because I'd never lived with anyone but my parents. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I moved to Berkeley, I had roommates and I was like, this is weird and I don't like it. And I didn't really take, I didn't clean up after myself. I, I cle- like, I didn't like, I wasn't like a slob, but I didn't do the, you know, the housework that I should have done. And I didn't really, I just wasn't a good roommate, you know? And I, and it, there was a, it was a learning curve because I, I jumped into living off campus with people who were all, um, they were all uh, juniors, I think. When you were a freshman. When I was a freshman. Because they were friends from high school. One of them was a friend from high school. Which high school did you go to? Beverly Hills High. And I, yeah, so I was just like not a good roommate. And I think part of it was just like that I didn't know any better. And and not that like that's an excuse, but like I just, it was like, I was like raised a certain way and had to like try to be less of an asshole pretty much. You know, I was not an only child, but I look back on my first roommate post-college roommate experiences and I feel like I was kind of an asshole too like my (laughs) (laughs) I just I wonder how much how much that's the age like I remember oh I think that's totally part of it too yeah I'm like I'm you know I'm and I was like there were many other ways in which I wasn't an asshole but I was also an asshole in other ways unrelated to being an only child like these are just parts of being like you know 18 and figuring yourself yourself out like you're basically a kid right what made you want to go to Berkeley um, I wanted to stay in California because I guess I was just scared to leave the state. And um, I, yeah, I mean, Berkeley made sense to me. I had a friend that was going there and she's like, we can live together. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like move out and like move in with a friend and like have an adult experience far enough away from LA that I'm like not in high school anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great school. And, Cause it was like between Berkeley and like UCLA. And I think that was where they came. Like I wanted to be far away. I really wanted to go to Pomona that's where I for went. a while um and then i just didn't apply and i think i wouldn't have gotten in I don't, I don't know i got rejected from stanford so i don't know how competitive pomona was that year but i never ended up applying pomona would have been radically different from berkeley because it's tiny yeah oh yeah and that was the other thing is like i thought that i wanted that and then like i, I thought, thought i wanted, wanted a small, small liberal arts school mm-hmm. and then i was like actually no i want a giant uc right um, but I don't know. I think it, I, I'm like, you know, there's the alternate universe version of me that went to Pomona is having like a totally different life experience right now. What's he doing? I don't know. I think that I would have, it's hard. It's so hard to say, like, you know, I think people thrive in different environments and like Berkeley was really good for me. And I don't know how I would have done in like a small, like in a smaller field. Like, I think Berkeley, I kind of, like, you know, I worked for this, for our, like, newspaper, and I, like, worked really hard to establish myself and, like, move up there. And I think part of it is because you're, like, I was, like, worried about being this, like, small fish in a big pond, and Mm -hmm. I was, like, I have to really work for that. And I don't know if, like, a smaller school, I would have had the same drive in a weird way. 
like I, I I wouldn't have like pushed myself as hard to kind of get past get past that right um when at that point what did you think you wanted to do career I wanted to I wanted to write I didn't want to well I didn't really want to be a journalist I had done the call of the high school paper and I'd been editor-in-chief but that was because I wanted to get into college like that was like my extracurricular because I was like I write that's what I do mm-hmm. and I'd always wanted to write and then I got and to were college. you interested in pop culture at that point yeah, always. Pop- I started an entertainment page my when I was in when I was in high school, and then we'd never had one for our paper. But the catch was that everything had to be related to the school in some way, which made it, which <laughs> like really limited options because, like, you couldn't like we wouldn't we couldn't have like movie reviews. Like, but I remember I reviewed Will, Real Women Have Curves, the America Ferrera movie, because uh, she went to Beverly Hills High School in it. So I was like, well, I can write about it from a <laughs> high school perspective. Um, but yeah, it, we couldn't like just have random entertainment stuff. But yeah, I did that in, in high school. I definitely wanted to do that. And then when I got to college, um, my roommate, the one that I knew from high school, she was already working for the paper and she worked in the entertainment section. Um, and she introduced me to the editor and I like got my first assignment and wrote it before classes started. So I was like... What was it? Do you remember? It was a review of the, of the movie Cellular starring Chris Evans. I don't even remember this movie. It is a hostage thriller involving a cellular telephone. Who? <laughs> Sounds good. Great. It was mark. a great. I don't. I don't remember what I wrote, but I do remember that. Like, I remember writing it. I remember going to the screening. It was like my first like movie screening in San Francisco, and then taking Bart back and like writing it that night because our deadline was like you know two a.m. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, and like really having no experience and not knowing what I was doing. But I think it turned out okay. Like if I write it now, I would cringe. But like for college paper standards, it was not bad. Right. Did you major in journalism? No, I majored in English. You couldn't major in journalism as an undergrad. But also, I don't think that I really wanted to do it. Like, I still, the whole time I was like, this is what I'm doing because it's the way that I can write, mm. you know? And I was on Live Journal and, like, I was writing that way. But, like, I didn't really, like, think of, like, serious blogging wasn't a thing yet or it wasn't a thing that I was tapped into. Mm. I guess it kind of was throughout college, but I never, like, I never had a blog. And I think Live Journal was my outlet. And I was like, I'm doing journalism or writing about entertainment because it's like a way to get my writing out there mm-hmm. um and it's really all that i knew how to do um but i don't think i i never thought i would graduate and keep doing it and it just kept happening until i was like and now here i am but like it was not the plan what did did you have an alternate plan i didn't have a plan i didn't have a plan i just wanted well after college i I freelanced for a while and I was like, I'll do this until I find something better to do. And when I moved back to LA, it was because I had like started writing more jokes on Twitter and like met more like TV people. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I want to write for TV. So I moved back to LA thinking that I was going to start doing TV stuff. And I was like, I'll be a PA or I'll be a writer's assistant and then I'll move up and I'll like work for a TV show. And that's my career now. And then I moved to LA, moved back to LA, got a job with Gawker like pretty quickly after that. And then after Gawker, uh, Buzzfeed and I, that you know it was not my intention but like i love doing it and you know buzzfeed was like the first full-time job that i had ever anywhere and it and it was also like a place where i was really able to stretch myself creatively and so i didn't feel like it didn't feel like a consolation job the way that it like had before where i was mm-hmm. like i'm just making money right um and i was like oh i could actually do this and also like at some point perhaps write a book or write a script or whatever like mm-hmm. that's still not off the table it's just not what I was focusing on. Um, so I, I kind of st- abandoned the TV thing. What was your experience at Gawker like? How long were you there? I was there for eight months. It was a waking nightmare. And <laughs> I don't... Why? I, oh, it was a really bad experience. Um, 
I was a bad fit and I will say like first like I, I was bad for the job um I was mostly ag- aggregating because I didn't really know what I was doing so mm-hmm. I would just aggregate stories which is not fun and um, were you like a LA correspondent for them because they're based in New they're York they're based in New York I was the night and weekend editor I was oh. the weekend editor so I was doing full weekend shifts but I was also doing some nights just picking up extra cash basically um uh and but I was like thrown into it because the way that it used to work back then when if you were the weekend editor is you'd have an audition and they would just give you the the free reign like of the site for the weekend and you would just post and i had no idea what i was doing and i had um my editor was aj delario um of the hulk hogan case uh that's his current claim to fame but he was (laughs) my editor and um we didn't have a great relationship. You know, we didn't talk very much. And um, when I did hear from him, it was when he was like mad at me when I did something wrong. And I just, the whole time I was like, this is not a good fit for me. You know, I, I wasn't cutthroat enough. I wasn't, I, I didn't have the experience I needed and I didn't, I didn't have reporting experience. Like I just, a lot went wrong mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I had an editor who was guiding me in the right direction. If like, what would be a kind of thing he would be upset with you about? Well, uh, what can I say that's like not going to get anyone in trouble? Cause it's such a sensitive talking about Gawker is so sensitive and I don't like want to bring up anything I shouldn't. But, um, there was a tweet that someone sent out that Sam Rubin sent out the TV reporter. Um, and it using the N word and I posted about this. Sam Rubin used the N word. Well, no, I mean someone from his, someone tweeted from his account doing I that. I see. Okay. If I were writing that story now, as a journalist, I would, first of all, reach out to him for comment. And second of all, like, frame it in a way of, like, you know, his account tweeted this. And I would also include his denial that it that he did it himself. That He, he said he was hacked. I, I don't know what happened. I th- You know, I think the most likely expl- explanation for this is sort of, like, it also was from, it was to a rapper, like, and it was, it was fake-ass N-word. Like, I think it was just, like, someone, mm-hmm. the wrong person was on his account, maybe his kid, maybe someone else, and this happened. And, like, um... I, I just, I handled it so poorly. I just wrote about it. You know, I didn't even think about like reaching out to him. And that was something that like, that was totally my bad. To be fair, like it was maybe when I was new there and I didn't have an editor, you know, to run things by. So I was just doing shit. And you see, it's, I come from a journalism background. I also majored in English, never formally took journalism, but worked for magazines for years and years and years. Um, And upon hearing it, I totally see both sides of it because like if your job is to cover what's going on over the weekend right. and something like that happens on social media, I can see not necessarily trying to reach out and just, yeah, I mean, about it. I, I, I just, it's just due diligence. Like you should even yeah. say you, you, you reached out. And I, I think also like, you know, he's such a small target. It wasn't like, you know, like he's a big name. Like it was, just, it honestly was just funny. Not funny. Like using hate speech is not funny, but it was like, he was such a random person to be no, tweeting that. It, yeah. Like there was, there was a, there was comedy to it. Um, and he's people, someone that people in LA really know. So it was like, it just made sense to like include it. But I, I wish I hadn't. And, and honestly, AJ wasn't like that mad about it. He was like, you should have done this. You should have done that. Mm-hmm. But then he wrote this like, uh, really, he wrote this blog post being like, we're not going to apologize to this guy. Like, like he was like, I, we're not going to yeah and we did i you know i thought the gawker handled it in a really funny but also a way that was funny but confrontational which is a lot of what his tenure was like there Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, he, he made a whole thing about it. He had like a, a statement on his show about like how like horrible this was. And this was before we talked about fake news, but I think he kind of implied that it was like, you know, basically making shit up, which it wasn't, you know, it, it happened. And like, when was this? Cause I have a vague memory of it. This was in 2012. Okay. This was like, like, I don't remember exactly when, but like probably like spring 2012. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know exactly, but I think it was June 27th, 2012. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a balmy exact, afternoon. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I got off pretty easy, relatively, honestly. I didn't have, like, much of a Twitter. Like, I, I had, t- like, a Twitter following, but nothing crazy. And, like, and also just, like, the internet was a quieter place. Like, I could have really gotten more shit for that. Although, right. frankly, so he would have gotten a lot more shit for that, too. Yeah. And also, like, the whole, that was sort of a time when you could naively say, like, I was hacked. And people were like, okay. And I'm like, someone hacked you to tweet one thing to a rapper and I'm like, unhacked? Like, what? That's right. the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Um, so he's still my enemy. No, I, I I just, it was like, that's the thing that happened that like I screwed up. But also like, I wish that I had an editor. I had, there had been more oversight and that I had been better prepared for what I was doing. Right. So you were there for eight months. Eight months. And then what happened? What, when did I, when did I leave or why did I leave? Why did you leave? I left because I was fired. So I didn't have a choice. So that that uh they made that choice for me. But I'd been in therapy being like I want to quit or be fired. So I was like very ready for it. Which did you want though? Um I think I was scared to quit, so I was I, I was relieved when I was fired. When mm-hmm. he when I got the phone call from him because I never heard from him and I saw him on my like caller ID, I was like I'm getting fired right now and I was at brunch with a friend and I was like hold on I'm just going to go get fired and I'm going to come <laughs> back and my chilaquiles and that's what happened. Um Did they give you a reason? No, I didn't ask for one. He was like, we're going in a different direction. But also like... I didn't <laughs> like a, a direction away from you. Right. I didn't need a reason because I was like, I was bad at my job and I hated it. You know, yeah. it's like, I think sometimes you just, I don't want to hear the reasons that I'm bad at this. Like, I know those reasons, you know, and I I know that I'm not cut through or prepared enough for this. So, you know, it was sort of a matter of time. I'm surprised that I lasted that long. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you can answer it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. Did you slash do you agree with like the Gawker Enterprise. I think that's really complicated because there have been so many different eras of Gawker. And I think that a lot of... Which, people- by the way, I was just telling my husband last night, I kind of miss Gawker. Oh, I, I do As too. a reader, I, I enjoyed it. I, I do too. And, I, like, and I, I'm really sad that Gawker's not around anymore for a variety of reasons. For both because I liked reading it and because there was a lot of great reporting. And I have, you know, um, a lot of fun memories of reading Gawker. And I think I learned a lot from it. And they did a lot of good work. Um, there are many different eras of Gawker and there are many different editors with different ideas. And I think they did things that are, some of them are indefensible and some of them are really important. And I think the good work they did outweighs the bad work. And even if you don't personally like what they do or, or if they burned you in some way, cause I saw people who, when they were getting shut down, who were like holding a grudge from a post that was like seven years ago. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I get it. You know, I'd be pissed too. You know, we all have bad memories about Gawker, but like, I think that the work they did is too important to to get rid of but to you what it, what was the and i'm not there's no judgment in my because yeah. i agree with you but yeah. to you like the important work they did is what i think that they they covered stories that people weren't covering and they because they weren't afraid of like burning bridges that caused problems but it also made for some really great reporting and i think that there there was um there's like they didn't subscribe to a lot of the common the ideas of like what journalism should do and those ideas are often outdated. And especially right now, we need people who will kind of like push the envelope in that way. And like, yes, maybe make some bad choices along like because that's going to happen. But 
they were doing like really smart envelope pushing early on. And I think that they would be the first to admit when they got it wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, not at the time, but like in retrospect, I think those editors would acknowledge that they made mistakes. Um, but it was smart reporting and it was good reporting. And, and, and I'm surprised that I was ever there at all because I was not doing any of it. But I just mean like, <laughs> you know, the work that, that colleagues were doing at the time was like really good work. What do you see? This is a chance to be grandiose. It's a grandiose question, but I want to ask it anyway. Okay. What I'm going to justify every question I ask. Please Here do. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already super irritated with myself. Um, what do you see as the role of journalism? In, and this is not going to air. I'm not sure when this is going to air. It'll air soon. But just people keep in mind, Trump is being inaugurated tomorrow as we record this. He's being inaugurated tomorrow. And I am not making any political statements. So just speaking about things broadly, I have no political opinions of my own that I share. Um, I think... It, but journalism is kind of under fire right now. Journalism is under fire. And I think that that's a, a scary thing. I think the journalism's job is to hold people accountable and to also in many ways like give give the public the information they need and let them figure it out for themselves a lot of, you know there's there is service journalism of like explaining things but i think a lot of the time like you need to just kind of like provide the material people aren't getting because a lot of what they're getting from politicians and from spokespeople and from whatever is spin and it's not entirely true and so like there's and a lot of from i don't know if you agree with this statement but and from cable news oh absolutely of course i mean not all of it there is like good work being done as well but a lot of it is just like it's not it's filtered through something mm-hmm. and so like good journalism should, you know, ask these hard questions and, and, you know, put it all out there for people. Uh, it's not always easy to digest, but it's like, it's important to have it out there. Um, and I think that's scary for a lot of people in power because they're, they feel like they don't have the chance to control the narrative, which is a good thing. You shouldn't be able to control the narrative. You should, you should be doing what you're doing and people should be able to decide whether or not they agree with that. Yeah. So, Okay, you get fired from Gawker. How soon after did you start at BuzzFeed? It was pretty quick. I got fired from Gawker and that day... So <laughs> I got fired and, and it was funny because they, they were really generous. They were like, well, you know, we'll pay you out through the end of the month. Like, you're, you, you can you can keep working if you want to, but we're going to pay you anyway. So I was like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I mean, thank you. That's very generous. And also, like, bye. Um, Who would have been like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll keep working. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, what was I going to do? I did, like... <sighs> You know, there were people that I liked in the comment section, which is like crazy to think about, but there were people <laughs> that I actually liked there. And like some of them followed me to Twitter, but I wanted to like, you know, there was a small part of me that wanted to just like hang out there and be like, yeah. And I did, I did like read to see what people said about me after I was gone. And like, you know, of course some of it was like hateful and like, thank God they fired him. And some of it was like, genuinely they missed me. And that was really nice. Um, but yeah, no, I was like ready to be out of there. So that day I tweeted that I was out at Gawker. I was like, I'm out of Gawker effective immediately. Did not say I was fired, but like I figured that was a pretty obvious implication. Um, and I got DM'd from a, a now coworker at BuzzFeed who was like, they're opening an LA branch of BuzzFeed. They're opening an LA bureau um, really soon. You should apply. Um, and that all happened in like two months, maybe. I mean, I don't remember exactly when I was fired. I want to say it was like October. Because, yeah, I think it was like October. And I started a BuzzFeed in December 2012. Mm-hmm. So it was a very quick turnaround. What was your position initially at BuzzFeed? They called me an associate editor. I was a member of Spec Ops, just not known as Spec Ops anymore. Um, Spec Ops became... Well, this is all internal language that no one cares about. But the idea was that I was I basically... I, I was doing viral content. I was doing like lists and quizzes. Well, we didn't really do quizzes that back then. It was lists. But I was doing lists. And I was like in LA and I was working with our entertainment editor. So I, uh, I, um, 
I had a bit of like uh, entertainment focus, but like I was just kind of doing viral work or trying and being bad at it. Did you feel like BuzzFeed was more suited to you than your previous job? Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, because I think that it was a more positive space and I wanted that. Um, BuzzFeed, it got a lot of flack for this like no haters policy. Like people made fun of us for being no, no haters. And Wait, um, I don't even know what that policy was. BuzzFeed used to have a no haters policy. Meaning what? Haters need not apply. Oh, like in terms of writing? Like no, not be negative? Well, so it was complicated. So the idea was like, you know, we were, we don't we don't come at things from a negative point of view. We're coming at things from a positive point of view. Um, but the way that I interpreted that was like, we write about things that we're passionate about. And it doesn't mean we're always like, it's not always, not, not always glowing praise. We're not just like trying to like do like puff pieces, but we're, we're coming at it from a positive place. And after like eight months of negativity, I really appreciated that perspective. And as I did started doing more entertainment work and writing about like TV and film, it was like, I wrote negative things about TV shows and movies, but they were because I cared about the issues. It wasn't just like a, a takedown for no reason. And that is what I, that was what I wanted to avoid like snark and like takedown culture. And I think that that was like why it was such a good place for me. Cause it was very much against those things. Mm-hmm. But now you switch to writing about theater. Well, no, you still write about film. And I started about film and TV, but I mostly write about, I, I just, I mean, we don't have anyone else writing about theater. So I'm filling that, that gap. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like there's not, a ton of great theater writing out there in general. So I also want to do more like in-depth theater reporting and, and feature writing, but uh, I still love TV and film. So I do that as well, but I, I, I became a full-time entertainment like reporter and I work for Buzzfeed news now, as opposed to Buzzfeed as a, there's, as opposed there's, to Buzzfeed, there's Buzzfeed and there's like Buzzfeed news and Buzzfeed news. Like I'm held to those standards and I'm a reporter and I, you know, know my journalistic shit ideally. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> That's the that's where I'm. That's how I'm approaching what I'm the work that I'm doing. Right. So, do you love it? Yeah. No. I, I really. I mean, my job is great, and then my job has also been a job that I've able. I've been able to craft kind of on my own because I started off doing. The first thing that I wrote was like a list of like ugly Hanukkah sweaters because I felt like I hadn't seen enough of those, <laughs> and now I'm writing like reported pieces and doing like you know some really serious long form reporting, much of it about theater, and I never thought I would be able to do that, and I I did it all through like some very supportive editors and also an environment where we were encouraged to try new things and to figure out what worked for us and what was a good fit. Is the turnaround on your stories really fast? Because, and and, wait, let me back up. Have you written for print magazines? Yes. Okay. Um, Is the turn, I, I imagine writing for Buzzfeed. It's like you're, you're filing constantly. Is I'm not now. No, not, not at all. Because I'm doing mostly long form stuff. So I'm like running, you know, maybe two stories a month, like depending. Okay. And then there are stories that I work on that there are stories that I work on that take a day. And there are stories that I work on that I spend four months on. So um, it really depends. Um, the editing process can be, you know, back and forth over a week or it can be back and forth over a month. Uh, it, there's so many factors. But um it does feel like magazine, like it's not that different from magazine reporting, honestly. Right. Uh, that's what, I, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, but there are people who are doing like, like the, you know, the lists and the quizzes and, and they're definitely doing it faster. And they're also like looking for different things than I am. And they're trying to like, they're trying to engage with what's happening right now. And they're trying to get people to click on it and to read it and to share it. And that's a different skill set that I don't have. So they're, but they're doing it much more, more quickly mm-hmm. and their turnaround time is different and their output is very different from mine. Can you say anything 
about the publishing of the dossier? Um, I should not speak about that. But I do, uh, I think that everything Ben Smith has said about that has been really intelligent. And I think that um, it's made me proud to work for him. So I'll say that. Okay. Without, without saying too much. I think we should take some questions from listeners. But um, first, I want to ask a super personal question. Okay. When did you realize you were gay? And what was your coming out process like? Um, I think that I realized probably pretty early in high school without like putting a name on it. Um, and like, that's like, you know, after a childhood of being like, I'm different in some way. And then I started coming out to friends when I was, um, a junior in high school. And by the time I was a senior, I pretty much was just kind of like acting like everyone knew, um, minus my parents. And I came out to my parents when I was in college, like right after I turned 18, I sent them an email, (laughs) which is like, not i don't i don't know people are like that's not how you should come out i don't regret it i think it was fine i knew they would be fine with it so it wasn't like it wasn't like i was dropping this on them and being like deal with it it was like i was sharing it with them and and i just like didn't feel like having the conversation over the phone or in person for sure uh because it's just an awkward conversation and yeah so i emailed them and then after that i changed my facebook to interested in men because i had just got it on facebook that summer so that was a big deal (laughs) Um, and then I was like, now I'm out to everyone and I'm out online. Like that was how I felt. Like I started to kind of like talk about it on live journal, but like very tangentially. And then when I changed my Facebook, I was like, now I am out to everyone, which is like a really interesting thing. Cause it was such a new piece of technology, but also mm-hmm. like I immediately was like, this is the new way to come out. It's like change your Facebook interested in. Did you feel, um, vulnerable or no, like, I mean like liberated? I definitely felt I felt like a huge weight was off my shoulders with my parents, even though it, and I knew it would never be a problem. Like, honestly, I just like still it was like a, a thing. Um, But I think honestly, like the online thing was equally important to me in terms of like feeling a weight off my shoulders because I could just like I could I knew that I could like write about what I wanted to write about. And I didn't have to worry about what that meant. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to worry about anyone seeing it and sharing it with my parents or, or, or with the world at large. Like I just was, it was, it was just out there and that was fine. Um, and I just felt, yeah, I felt like a huge freedom and I wasn't on Twitter then. I I don't, I don't know when Twitter was formed. Not, not that early. This was 2004. So not then. Um, but yeah, I was like, I just felt this like sudden, like, this online openness that now I've like carried with me for, you know, over a decade past that. I found this, uh, amazing article about you in the East Bay express talking about how you were a twilebrity. Do you remember? Oh my God. Yeah, of course. That was a a big deal for me. (laughs) Yeah. You had 4,000 followers at that point. Wow. Oh my God. I I did not remember that. Um, that's really funny. Yeah. That was, uh, they had asked me if I would like be in their best of issue. And they came and they photographed me in my apartment. It was like really exciting. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, I you know, it was like, I don't know why they did that, but it was, I definitely appreciated it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, what, what, it was, I feel like this sounds like I'm damning it with fake praise. It was amusing to see because it was like such early Twitter days. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when I had under a thousand followers, I think like Kelly Oxford, like, she might have like she followed Friday me or something, and then I got like hit went over a thousand, and I was like, I'm I've peaked. I'm it's never getting better than this. <laughs> um, and yeah, and now I've definitely plateaued because I don't Twitter's like dead. But 
<laughs> you know, okay. it was a good few years of growth, and that was exciting. I keep hearing that Twitter is dead. What does that mean? Um, I mean, I don't think Twitter's dead. I think that Twitter is dying. Is the usage down, or it's just become a cesspool? Both. I think it's be, and I think there's definitely a correlation there. I think anyone leaving Twitter right now is right to do so. I can't for no, me neither. I can't because of work, and I can't because of my own craziness. I, I am very attached, but um, it's so ugly, and it's so hard to sit like to just like sift through the shit that you yeah. get. Um, I you know, I, I a lot of what I get is really hateful. It's not as bad as it would be if I were a woman or a person of color. Like I get it. Like I I'm. I'm on the low end of the spectrum in terms of like the hate that I get. And even that makes me feel like ill, not because like I take it personally, but because just to, it's just a constant reminder of like how ugly humanity is Mm -hmm. and how awful people can be when they're behind their computers and anonymous. Um, You know, it's like they, they tweet at you like, are you triggered snowflake? And it's like, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm not triggered. Like I get it. Like I'm not like, no, I'm not like experiencing like PTSD and like, no, I'm not like, crying about this but i am like really sad for you and i'm sad for the world right now um so yeah that's part of why twitter is dead because it's full of neo-nazis and like awful people with pepe the frog avatars <laughs> um but also there's just like a usage thing and like i feel like kind of it, it peaked i mean like when i talk about plateauing i mean literally my follower account doesn't change anymore you know people don't follow fried anymore people don't recommend but even if i get like a boost like even if some like celebrity is like follow this person it nothing changes and mm-hmm. like my the, my drop off is the same as what i gain so there's really like no i've gone up maybe like 0. 0.6 of like a thousand followers over the past like um which is 600 i can do math mm-hmm. um but you know like when you get it's like i have 40.6 right, or whatever right. and then, like it's gone up from like 40 over the past like i don't know like many many months and i'm not like trying to get more followers or anything it's just that like you know you notice that you sort of like it just trailed right. off that's how i am on instagram for some reason my instagram like i toggle between a point six and point seven. Yeah, I think I have like twenty one point six, twenty one point seven. But for some reason, it's like it's capped. Yeah, it is not going. But anywhere. I also, to be fair, care about it less. Like I care. I don't. I don't pay attention. Like the number does not mean much to me anymore. And there was definitely a time when I had nothing else going on in my life. Like when I was the best burgeoning Twilight Brody in that. You know, <laughs> I was like I cared a lot about it. You know, and now I'm like it doesn't you know i'm glad that it exists even though it's often terrible but i don't like obsess over the number or like who's i think following there was me. this idea at a certain point that i had that like somehow this is all this all turns into something somehow oh, I, think we, all I, think, I think we all i think something. we all did because also yeah. because people were starting to get jobs from that you know right. and i think that like you know um i mentioned kelly like she was one of the first people that i found on twitter who was like so funny and i remember like i remember googling her and being like who is she and she wasn't she wasn't famous. She didn't like, she didn't have a writing career at that point. Like she wasn't, you know, she was, a fellow she was just like a funny person in Canada. And I, I was like, Oh my God, she's like making something of herself. She like has this following. And I remember I was like, Oh my God, Diablo Cody like interacts with her. Like, that's so cool. And then she started like getting writing jobs mm-hmm. and a book deal. And it was like, a, it was, it was a huge thing, you know, um, with comedians, it was also different too, but you would watch people just sort of like get, more work and i think there was i always knew that it wasn't just like twitter like you had to actually have success to back that up but it was like a tremendous way to get noticed especially if you were an early adopter and you were like on there building a following from the beginning like you you were like building a fan base in a way right. that i'd never seen before never on live journal or you know live journal was my big one but like that didn't mean anything like no one no one was like getting a job from live journal but on Twitter, you were like people were like getting writing jobs, and mm-hmm. it was like a huge turning point. Do you feel like that doesn't happen anymore? Um, 
No, not really. I mean, I think the people like, I think it still happens. Like networking still happens all the time. And like, I've met so many people through Twitter and like, you can DM someone and be like, Hey, you know, you fave a lot of my tweets. Like you must like my work. Like I'm actually like a writer and like, could, would you read my packet? Like whatever, like that stuff still happens. But like, are you getting plucked up out of like, whatever are there? There are no articles anymore about Twitter rising stars. (laughs) Right. And like, no one's getting noticed just for Twitter. But if you're like going to hustle, it's not a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh, take some questions that people sent in on Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. The great one wants to know, what's the best way for people to tell whether a news article is fake? Uh, That's a really important question. Um, And there are a lot of good resources out there. Some of them are probably fake about how to do this. (laughs) Um, I mean, the obvious thing is always look for a second source, um, at least one. Check the website you're looking at. Like, there should always be a primary source and it should always be something you've heard of and it should always be like a reputable news site. And, um, that's a biggie. There should be like people quoted in the article who are actual people. You should look them up and see if they are real people. Um, you can look up the quotes in the article and see if they've been quoted elsewhere. That's a good thing to do. Uh, but the basic rules of something seems too good to be true or too bad to be true, like so, so awful that it fits into the narrative you have of like how bad people are. It might very well be fake. However, in 2017, and like this obviously was true last year too. Sometimes things that seem like so crazy awful they can't possibly be true actually are. So you should <laughs> like you should you should be skeptical, but you also like yes, like sometimes that really did happen. That is that is the news. Um, but yeah, I think it's like good to approach all of it with some level of skepticism, um, and also be very aware of like what you mean when you say fake news and the difference between like propaganda and just like bad reporting. The co-opting of the term fake news makes me mental. Yeah, but this was something that was always going to happen because this is what people do. This is what happened with bullying. This is like, I, this is the right. analogy that I always use is that like bullying was a thing when the gays started talking about being bullied and they were like, bullying is a problem in our schools and people are committing suicide and it gets better as a movement we're going to like put forward to like stop this. Suddenly, like as soon as the first story about like, you know, some conservative group that wanted to block gays from doing something, they were like, we're being bullied for our views. We're being, there's anti-Christian bullying. Mm-hmm. That happened so fast and it happened, fake news happened even faster. You know, like fake news was identified like right after the election as something that was, I mean, it had been, it had been before, but it got popularized right after the election. And what, within like a few weeks, Donald Trump saying like your fake news to, to CNN, to CNN yeah. which is not fake news for the record. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it happens very quickly and that's why it's like useful to think about like what it actually means and to break like and to dis- distinguish between, like I said, bad reporting or or most importantly, like, a story you don't agree with is not fake news. Like a story right. that you think is like not a good story is not inherently fake news. A story that like, uh, it's just not, you know, if it's like, if it's factually incorrect and designed to kind of provoke an opinion that's like, that's the one you want. Like if that's, then yes, it's fake. But if it's just a story you don't like because it it paints you in a negative light is not fake news. I actually think in a less demonstrative way, the uh, term snowflake is similar because it's the snowflakiest motherfuckers who are using that term. Oh yeah. It's the people who 
can't stand certain words. Oh yeah, can't no, stand they're, certain they're, ideas. Of course, it's like the irony of someone being like, "I can't," but like you're so sensitive. It's like you can't handle this. I- <laughs> you're sensitive. You're sensitive. To people saying that they're sensitive. You get upset about it, right? Um, Snowflake is fascinating, and I was like, I want to find out where it comes from, but then I realized it comes from Fight Club. Oh, it's um the idea that you're not a special snowflake. It's like that is like that is where it comes from. It is like this like horrible macho bro asshole thing of like you think that you are a special person in the world and you're not. And it's something that kind of was, it, it comes up like not in the terminology, but like the idea behind it is the idea that, that spawned like a million think pieces about millennials being bad. And it's like right, participation trophies. Yes, exactly. And being Which coddled. by the way, participation trophies are fucking not real. Like no, <laughs> like, like, yes. Like I understand the concept behind them. Like there was a point when people were more sensitive to like leaving kids out, but like, I never got a participation no, I trophy. Um, anyway, yeah, I think it all. Comes I did to- get good sportsmanship. Well, sure, we all got that. All, <laughs> all, all the, the fat, fat kids, kids get yeah. good sportsmanship. Yeah, <laughs> best smile, great uh, personality. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think that it comes. From, uh, it's all the same thing. It's all the same idea of like, um, I suffered, and you and you're in, too. and you're entitled about it. Yeah, coming from people who call themselves the greatest generation, like the, these people are like you are you are too big for your britches. Like you think that you're too important and I'm going to take you down by being like, you are not special and you don't deserve anything you've had and you have it so easy and you have no idea. And that's where it comes. That's where the idea comes from. It's interesting that it's, excuse me, specifically millennials that got tagged that way, because I would argue that every generation coming up, I mean, that's just youth. Oh it's yeah, youth of, to course think that you're of course too it is. Good of course it is, and you job. can and you can look past and see articles that were written about Generation X that were the same right. way, and articles that were written about you know baby boomers. I'm sure that you know wait, like these are every generation hates the one that comes after it. Right. Um. I'm sure that I will write something about founders eventually. Oh, is that the new? Is that what founders are the new the generation? New yeah. Also, millennial is a terrible term because basically they got rid of Generation Y and they're like everyone's a millennial. So now if you're born between like what is it like 1980 and like. 2000 some shit like that you're a you're a millennial which is a huge range like i thought millennials were a lot younger than i am and they're just they're like i'm very close to being a millennial right and i'm considered an older millennial but i am still a millennial i was born in 86 um but i don't have anything in common with someone who was born in 94 Right. Like I do, but like not really. Our, so, our our points of reference are different. Our relationship with the internet is different. Like I did not grow up having internet until, you know, like high school is when it started. So like I, and you know, even, even then it was still sort of spirit. Like I grew up learning that I didn't grow up like on it in the same way that kids now do. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's like a millennial trait that like is very, a very different experience depending on when you were born. Right. So it's generation X. What came before X? That was, wasn't that the baby boomers? Is it? Okay. So then Generation X, then Millennials, and then Founders, or is there something in between? No, it's the Millennials and the Founders, yeah. Okay. I guess Generation X is a huge range, too, and Baby Boomers is obviously a huge range, but... They need to they need to drill down. Yeah, I mean, because Baby Boomers, like, the idea of being that they were, like, born after the war, like, that shouldn't last that many decades. <laughs> no. No. So my baby is going to be born in a couple of weeks. Will he be a founder or is there going to be some new term? There'll be some new term. Let's, you know, we'll wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's not an asshole. Okay. James Holmes says, what was your first relationship like? How long did it last? My first relationship was uh, my freshman year of college. It lasted three months, one of which we were not together because it was winter break. 
Um, yeah, so three months and it was fine. I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to have a boyfriend. That's what you do when you're 18. You go to college for the first time. You like find someone. And I remember being really resentful because like the first week of school, all these gays like paired off with each other. Like it was like instant because hmm. they were all, you know, they all went to college and like, oh my God, I can be out here. And they're like other gays that like all paired off. And I did not like, it was like musical chairs and I was like totally not, <laughs> not involved with it. And then I was like desperately trying to find someone and we didn't have dating sites back then. So I didn't know how to find, meet anyone and I still don't, but um, at least now I can like fake it on Tinder. But yeah, back then I was like on Facebook. I met people on Facebook actually, like not too long after I came out on Facebook, but, um, and at parties like vaguely, but no one I actually dated. Mm-hmm. I guess I did. So yeah, I guess I didn't meet my first boyfriend in person and that he was a friend of a friend. He was my female friend's ex-boyfriend who turned out to be gay and we started dating. And then why'd you guys break up? Oh, I mean, we were so, we were both like so not in it. Um, he changed his Facebook status before we broke up, <laughs> which is such a like, Slap again, like, face. but again, like this happened like so soon after Facebook was founded. Like these things, like this, this shit was happening from the beginning. Like people will get technology and instantly find out how to use it for the worst, the worst, <laughs> like, the worst things. Right. They used to get laid right away and like going to use it to like break a heart right away. Um, yeah, we broke up. We both cheated um i can say that because i'm not whatever i'm admitting it and he's not gonna listen to this and also i'm not using his name um yeah we both cheated and then we were like called each other and we're like we should probably like break up i didn't want to do over the phone but it was also like so over Mm -hmm. but it was like really troubled and dramatic from the beginning uh he came out to his parents like while we were dating which was very like heavy for him and i didn't have any like concept of like how that worked because you had parents who were accepting. Yeah, and like it wasn't that his weren't. It was just like it was a, it was more it was more drama for him. And mm-hmm. and I was like, I remember my, that same therapist. She like basically called me called me fat. Like also told me I was really self involved. <laughs> and because I was like not able to like deal with. I was like, he's not like talking to me. Like he's not calling me anymore. He's not like he's like really distant. He's like he's going through a traumatic life experience. And I was like, yeah, but he should call me back. Like I didn't get it. You know. Um, I was just really immature and I think every, I can't believe people at that age like have relationships because I didn't no, know what neither. I was doing. The people that end up happily ever after with the people they met in high school, like I, that is so foreign I to me. I think you can grow together, but it's just like shocking to me that like you, like, th- I don't know. I have barely have friends from that time period. It's just like, I, it's crazy. I was a nightmare <laughs> and I was trying my best, but not hard enough. Mm. Um, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you so much for all of your Amazon support. And also, I'm on Patreon. Patreon is kind of like Kickstarter. You can support artists, podcasts, etc. on an ongoing monthly basis. There's different reward levels. So you can get extra bonus episodes every month. There's an exclusive live stream you can get access to. There's uh, an official fan club level where you get merchandise in the mail, all sorts of super fun stuff. So for more info on that, go to patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Let's do Just Mirror Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is where people write in with things they think or they or do and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in if we also relate. Uh, John Schember says, when ascending concrete stairs or a tall curb, I vision, excuse me, I vividly picture myself tripping and shattering my teeth on the pavement. I have this when I'm 
going downstairs. But I actually do, like, kind of every time I go down the stairs outside of our apartment, I imagine eating shit. Um, I don't, but I, that makes total sense to me. I, like, imagine other horrible things happening to myself, but they're, they're usually more creative than... That sounds, like, shady. I, <laughs> I just mean that I, like, I, I envision my, my death or injuries, like, to be much more, like, me tripping and falling in front of the train before it arrives and, like, that versus, more calamitous. Like, yeah. Bigger. Yeah. The higher stakes. Yeah. I have imagined, like, pushing people, not, de- like... My thing was, like, at one point, I was, like, so frustrated, like, trying to make a train that I imagined just, like, using my telekinesis to just, like, push everyone off the stairs at once, <laughs> like, really dramatically. I'm, like, doing the hand motions now, hoping mm-hmm. it'll, it'll suddenly happen. But, um, yeah, that's what I imagine on the stairs, I guess. Uh, Leela Rolling Stone says, After blowing my nose, I feel inexplicably compelled to check the contents of the tissue. Yes. That's normal, but I don't do that. Really? Yeah, I don't. You just blow blind? Yeah. Do you look at the toilet paper after you wipe? I mean, I try not to. I don't defecate, but if I did, <laughs> if, right. if I did, first I would of all, not. it would smell great, and second of all, you wouldn't look. I don't believe in. Yeah, I don't believe in it. Uh, in looking or in defecating? In defecating. Very anti. Really? I just I like I really like I like hate poop talk. It's like a thing. I've like I've like argued with people about this. I think I mean, people should talk about whatever they want. Like I don't want to censor anyone. I just like personally, it's like one of those weird things I've never been able to get past. Is that like I think poop talk is weird. Where are you with fart jokes? I like don't like fart. I mean, I I've like laughed at fart jokes, but I don't like I don't like it's all of it. Okay, which is interesting. <laughs> personally i can't get enough of it yeah that's that's how much we do it on the show that there are i think three <laughs> different stingers <laughs> yeah you need more frankly oh my god we have more fart chat <laughs> poo chat poo chat oh okay <laughs> shit chat <laughs> see i think like i this is like a failing of mine like i don't think that, like i think that like i wish that i could get over it because, like, I've, like, been in relationships and I'm just, like, I don't want to ever, I don't want either of us to know what the other person does in the bathroom ever. And they're, like, that's... That's my husband's dream. Unfortunately, he doesn't get to live it with me. Well, like, whenever, like, I watch Housewives shows, they're always, like, like, one of, I forget which one it was. It was, like, the secret to a long marriage is having separate bathrooms. And I was, like, yes, that is the dream. Mm-hmm. Like, never have to, like, deal with it. Are you super into Housewives? Yes. Okay. Then I gotta ask you my question. Um, I got into Vanderpump. I watched New York, but I didn't really watch the other ones. I got into Vanderpump Rules and then via that got into Housewives of Beverly Hills and watched maybe the first three seasons. This is all kind of recently. And then I stopped because all of a sudden there were all these people and I couldn't keep them separate and I wasn't that interested in all these new people. But then recently I tuned in to a pretty new episode and I got drawn back in and it was Dorit, 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 uh huh, the new, the new housewife. She's the new one. Yes. Is she the one with the accent? She has the weird Madonna accent, yes. Okay, yeah. And then Erica. Who is who came on last season. What's her deal? She's like the breakout star of the like she's the current, like she sort of revived the show, is what you know, she gets a lot of credit for that, which is fair because the show has been very boring and she's done a good job of like rejuvenating it. And so was there beef that Dor- it's Dorit, you said? Uh-huh. Like Doritos without the O's. People call her Dorito, uh-huh. So Dorit's husband was looking at Erica Jane's vagina because she didn't wear underwear. Yes. That feels so manufactured to me. Well, no, I think, well, yes, I think Dorit and her husband know that they need to like create drama to be on the show. Um, no, the drama wasn't even that. The drama was like 
the drama was all on Dorit's side for like Erica not wearing underwear and how inappropriate it was that she right. was like flashing him. Which fe- I feel like that is kind of a trope that they go to often because remember how they were all upset that Lala was shirtless. I've barely, early- I've, I've barely watched Vanderpump Rules. Oh, really? But yeah, there is a lot of like Get talk out. of like etiquette and like yes, and 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 proper and like what a lady should do. Right. Um, but it's such a crock of shit. I mean, like I think that all- and the other housewives, to their credit, like I think we're like this is not a story. There's like nothing here. Like, <laughs> right. She didn't wear underwear. Like a lot of us wouldn't wear underwear with that dress. And like if you're looking, that's on you, not on her. Mm-hmm. So do people not like Dorit though? Oh, people hate Dorit. Yeah. Yeah, because I f- it was weird. I was like sort of taken with her in this one episode, but I felt like I wasn't supposed to be. No, no, people hate her. Yeah, no, she's gotten like a lot. Like people do not like her at all. Okay. Should I get back into it? Um, you know, I think Beverly Hills is really dry this season. Like it's and it was last season too. It's hard for me to recommend it. Like I watch it because I care about these people that I've been following for years. But it's like not my favorite. Like which is your favorite franchise? New York and OC are the most consistent. Um, OC I watched all this summer and then like like I just marathon all of it, and it's like an incredible television program. Um, but New York is probably like the strongest of all of them. And which of the original Housewives are on New York now? Uh, Bethany, she was off for a while, but she's right. on it. And Ramona and Luann. Okay. We'll get back into that one. Ashley Bloodworth says, hate follow people on Instagram and purposefully do not like their posts because they get too many likes. <laughs> this reminds me in fourth grade when I had the great idea to go into the bathroom and erase the cool kids graffiti. Like, I'm going to show them that when I was really, so rebellious. Really, yeah, I, my it. friend and I, my fellow nerdy friend and I, would plan to smuggle an eraser out of the classroom and go in there. And we really thought that we were getting away with something. Anyway, um, no, I don't do that exactly. There's probably a few people that I do hate follow, but then occasionally I'll look at my timeline and I'll think everything's irritating me. And then I realize I did this to myself. Right. Yeah, I think I do that. But I mean, I can see, I don't really Instagram, I don't follow that. Like I follow whoever and I don't really check it often enough. But on Twitter, I have like, I don't really hate follow people because I feel like, you know, it's like, I don't follow Donald Trump because, like, I'll see his tweets anyway. Yeah. That's a good example of, like, this. Like, I, you know, if it's, like, outrageous enough, I'll see it. And if not, then, like, whatever. I'd rather not... I'd rather curate an experience that's, like, you know, a little gentler on me. Oh, that's good. You're curating. I'm, curi- I'm a curator. That's mm-hmm. um, Sebastian Stoker says, Whenever I address a veterinarian or dentist, I worry that when I say doctor, I sound sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny, actually. I guarantee you don't, though. I you guarantee don't. No, they love being no. called doctor. No, no, they do. And they are doctors, and you should yeah. call them doctors. But I, but that's very funny. That's a good tweet. You should tweet that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ariel RC says, Cook spaghetti whole. Who breaks it in half? I like a long noodle. Who do, well, I think sometimes you break it to make it fit in the, the pot. Yeah, but I think that I like a long noodle, too. Yeah. I, you know what I used to do is eat dry spaghetti. I have done that before. Which is it's weird. It's not good. It's not good, and it's like a weird... It was like a compulsion that I had. Like, it was not... It was, like, not about the flavor or anything. I think it was just, like, the texture of it and, like, getting it, like, caught in my teeth. Like, it was all part of this weird process. And now I don't keep pasta in the house, so... You know what's not bad, surprisingly, is um, uncooked ramen noodles. Yeah, texture-wise, I can see that. Because they're and, actually, like... I think maybe they're pre-cooked, and you're just warming them up. Yeah, they're, they dehi- to, they're dehydrated. Probably. So, yeah, they just, so that's They kind of taste like what yeah, they yeah, will yeah, become, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I've seen that, like, used and cooked. Like, you can, like... There are dishes prepared with, like, ramen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with, like, uncooked ramen or whatever. Tuna, so probably. Yeah, so... I, but regular noodles taste like shit. Don't do that. It's not good. Um, 
Mr. Boinkity says, just mirror everyone, decided to change my password to something more internet safe, but immediately forget my new password. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think we should, I, and I cha- try to change as, as much as I can, but I also use two-step verification on literally everything that will allow for it. Um, but also, like, we should all be using um, password, you know, sites that kind of you keep your passwords on. Right. I'm always like, what if they get hacked? But, like... Then I'm fucked. <laughs> then we're all fucked. But, like, the truth is, like, we're fucked because we reuse passwords, and it's going to be too easy to hack us, and, it like, people get hacked all the time because they're dumb. Um, we're all dumb, and we all, like, don't take it seriously enough, and we really should. So mm-hmm. um, that's the message I'm promoting now is that we should use password sites. It's good. It's a good good campaign. Thank you. Okay. Almost done. Brian Williams says, but not that not Brian, the Brian Williams. Williams yeah. uh-huh. Uh, clean a room starting from top to bottom. Silently die inside when girlfriend starts with floors. I've never cleaned before. In my life. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was what I was going to say. A, no, I'm so bad at cleaning. Like I, I don't understand the question. Like someone helps you and you're upset about it. Well, maybe they live together. Oh, because like you're doing. Wait, so you're doing. Different. No, he's saying the the proper way to clean a room is oh, from top to right, bottom, and then she starts. And like so, when she's just cleaning the floors. When she starts with the floors, it drives him nuts. I mean, like, I don't, that's I, this, I don't, logic, I don't like, really. yeah, like, yes, he's right, but also, like, who gives a fuck? Like, the floor is <laughs> clean, like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, you're kind of an organized, neat person. Uh, well, I'm okay. I, I, I agree with his technique, but I wouldn't get uptight about it. Because I think if you're dusting up high, then the dust then it falls, falls on the down. Floor, yeah. so right. It creates more work for you, for sure. Especially if you're going to, like, then go back and, like, clean up the dust that fell on the floor. Yeah. But also, like, I'm just so glad someone's cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, how much dust are you really knocking loose? Like, is this like a once a year cleaning? For someone like me, there's going to be substantial uh, uh, dust. There's going to be like an avalanche of shit accumulated on everything. But um, I have other problems, clearly, that do not revolve around which order I clean my house in. And lastly, William Levi Walker says, when taking fast food home, ask for no ice to get more soda, then later pour into my own cup with ice. That's just smart, but I don't do that. Uh, my parents are no ice people. Um, but I, a friend of mine is a bartender, and speaking of Instagram, I follow him on there, and he recently posted... Hate follow. No, it's it's not a hate follow. <laughs> I'll like his post. But he recently posted a meme. I don't know if he made it himself. But he said it was something like, no, I don't think that means what you think it means when you ask for no ice. Like people think, I'm going to have to talk to him about this. Like yeah. people think when they ask a bartender for no ice, they're getting more alcohol, but they aren't. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, but I, don't know what they're I would never for like a mixed drink, because if you're going to like a real bar and they're making an actual drink, like the ice... This sounds like so pretentious, but the ice like it means something. Like they're putting it there for a reason. The, the kind of cube they're using is for a reason, you know. Like, but for fast food soda, whatever you want is fine. I just personally like ice, and I also never make ice at home, and I never put ice in my drinks at home. So, like, part of the fun of getting a fountain soda out is like the ice in it. That is like part of what I like about the experience. Um. Also, how much soda do you need? Right. Like I'm, you know, I already drink like, like light ice. Yeah, I can see that. I'm like already drinking like my weight in Diet Coke. Like I don't need to like. Do you do you go Diet Coke over Coke Zero? Um, I, I prefer Coke Zero. Oh, I prefer Diet Coke because I'm just used to the taste, and I grew up with the taste of Diet Coke. I try to drink not very much soda at all anymore. I drink mostly water because water is good for you, but also Diet Coke is delicious, and I drink it when I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Except I hate water, but I do try to drink it. <laughs> you should get Plant Nanny and have something nag you to drink water all the time. Wait, what? Plant Nanny, the app. What is that? You have a virtual plant and you water it when you drink water. 
Oh my god, I sh- I didn't even yells, know about and this. It yells at you and dies if you don't drink water, and then you feel like a bad person. But it it wants you to drink so much water. It wants me to drink nine sixteen ounce glasses of water a day, a which is so much water. That's like over double what the recommended amount. Yeah, and the recommended amount is also bullshit. Like you don't actually need that much water because you get most of it from the food that you eat. But like my thing is like it can't hurt to drink that much water. True. So like. I mean, if you drink it all at once, you'll die. But um, <laughs> it can't hurt to like drink that throughout the day. It's it can only be good for you and your kidneys and your skin and all that. So I like I do it, but I sometimes I'm like fuck that plant. I will say, and this probably is going to make you uncomfortable if you are not into poo talk. It's it's pee talk. Um, oh, pee talk's totally fine. I okay, talk great. About peeing all the time. Now that I go to the doctor all the time, the OB. Um, they, I have to do a urine sample every single time. So I'm constantly putting a cup of my urine on a tray that has other women's urine. So you're judging the color of yes, yours. Yes, mine is very light. Yeah, that's like, great. I'm very hydrated. That's great. That's great. <clears throat> Thank you. What do well, you drink when you're not drinking water? Um, I drink, well, I've started- Do you do iced tea? Because that's like basically water. No, I read something that said that tea isn't good when you're pregnant. Although I don't oh, know if I that's don't know. true. Is anything good when you're pregnant? No, just water. Nothing that you want. I've actually started adding in splashes. Now that I'm so close to giving birth, I started adding in like splashes of diet soda into my water and stuff. I'm totally, I'm totally heading back into the world of artificial sweetener. Great. But I'm proud that I could even give it up for as long as I did because... Also, it's not bad for you. I mean, I don't know how it is for for a fetus, but it's not, but diet soda is not bad for you. I agree with that. I was bummed when a couple different people said that they don't really have enough research to know that it's safe for that is fetuses. Not, so. Oh, for fetuses. Yeah, 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 for fetuses. I was like... Not for People, not say, for people say that, people. though, about humans or, yeah. like, adult humans, and I'm like, they've been researching this shit for decades, right. and it does not cause cancer, and it's delicious. I agree wholeheartedly. And the studies about how it makes you fatter, it's like, no, it's because fat people yes. drink diet soda. Hello! This is what <laughs> I wish we had done the whole podcast about that specific topic. I could have talked for three hours about <laughs> diet soda and being overweight. Water can yeah. suck a dick. That's how I feel. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This was so fun. You guys follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And Lewis, um, tell them everywhere they can find you and plug whatever you'd like to plug. You can find me at at Lewis Peitzman on Twitter. Um, and that's pretty much the best place. You can read my stuff on BuzzFeed. Uh, search my name or I link to it on my Twitter. Um, yeah. And if I do, I, I think I have some a couple of shows coming up, actually, weirdly enough. And I will tweet about them and Facebook them. So find me and find me in those places and I will let you know. Perfect. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Yeah, Alison Rosen is your new best friend.